as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the six-four Welcome everyone to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast. I am Adam McDonald of Big Shiny Robot. And I am Andy Wilson, also of Big Shiny Robot, aka Citizen Bot. Yes, um aka Sithbot, although I've kind of been going by my Christian name recently. Um, oh, you and your real name, Adam. <laughs> oh, I know. Got to be somewhat respectful. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at SithBot underscore. And you can follow me on Twitter at CitizenAndy. Cool. And also be sure to check us out at BoardIsHellCast.com on Twitter at uh, BoardIsHellCast. And, of course, on Facebook.com slash BoardIsHellPodcast. Uh, so today is a big one. It's the only one. Uh, it's the dino-sized one, if I'm going to be cliched. Uh, Jurassic World. Uh, I've been excited for this one for since I heard about it. Uh, obviously, huge Jurassic Park fan. Uh, the series kind of stumbled over a couple sequels. But this one, thankfully, we can tell you before we get too much into it, definitely lives up to the name and is definitely something that you're going to want to see. But the movie starts out, uh, it's basically on the same island as the first Jurassic Park, Isla Nublar. And I'm sure I'm desiccating the name and someone's going to go ahead and yell at me. But over the ruins of this park, the vision of John Hammond has come to life. It's 20 years later. The park is a thriving success, and it's dealing with 20,000 people plus a day. Huge success. Everyone's happy. Things are doing well. But of course, like anything in corporate America, they have to keep doing things one thing bigger, one thing better. So enter Claire. She is pretty much the CEO of or the running of the park, played by Bryce Dallas Howard. And she and everyone there in the genetics lab are cooking up a newer and bigger attraction that no one's ever seen before, the Indominus Rex, a mix of the Tyrannosaurus Rex and something else. They don't quite tell us, except this thing is crazy, it's evil, it's huge. It eventually eats people like people McNuggets and escapes its containment center and wrecks havoc on the island. Of course, she's joined by Owen, Chris Pratt, who we've seen in the trailers as the Raptor Whisperer in one of the really cool moments of the movie. And together they work with the security team on the island to not only capture this giant beast and subdue it, uh, but also rescue Claire's two nephews who replace Hammond's grandchildren who have become lost on the island and are now uh, out and about fending for themselves from this horrible creature as well as other dinosaurs that are roaming the area. So it's fun. It's exciting. I don't want to give too much more away because there's some cool little uh, Easter eggs and throwbacks, but it's, it's definitely worth your time. Now, Andy... I know you liked it a bit more than I did because I had some little quibbles with it. So why don't you tell us your take on it and then I'll go from there. This is not a perfect movie, but it's a really fun movie. And it is the most fun that I've had with a Jurassic Park movie since the original. Is it as good? No. It's not as iconic. Uh, The script is not as quotable. Uh, The characters are not as nuanced nor interesting. But it's really a lot of fun. I had a lot of discussions with people afterwards and we were kind of nitpicking pieces of it apart. And at the end of all of that, and I'm like, yeah, you can nitpick that part. But if you've already bought into the premise that there is an island with dinosaurs on it, that is a tourist attraction. And you've bought into the fact that there is a genetic engineering team that has built a new dinosaur that is now rampaging on the island. You really can't quibble too much more with that. This is one of those instances where I feel like, by the premise, by the bit. 
So whatever other problems there are in the script, and there are some, I think you can gloss over and just have fun with this movie. Take it for what it is. It is not a perfect movie. It's not full of any kind of biting social commentary. Just along the same lines of the first one, we really should not have mucked around with nature and tried to exceed our grasp of whether we should actually build a theme park with dinosaurs. Of course, the answer is no, but if people did that, we wouldn't get to see this movie. So I had a lot of fun with it. Chris Pratt was great. The kids were, I won't say they were great, but they were the least annoying kids of the entire franchise. And so I, I gave that a thumbs up and I was happy with that. Jimmy Fallon shows up for a little cameo as the host of in the in the gyro cycle. That's very funny. There's other little bits like that. Other people in unexpected bit parts. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio as an ex-military guy who's looking into military applications for what Chris Pratt is doing with the Velociraptors. That's that's fun, although not as good as it, and developed as it could have been. And Jake Johnson, uh, who you may have seen from New Girl, who is one of the control room operators and kind of a dinosaur fanboy. He provides some fun comic relief during uh, some of the more tense moments and is a fun piece of humor as we as we move through the film. Right, and it was it was cool for him because you know we're sitting there in the theater, uh, pretty much all Jurassic Park fans, maybe not so much Lost World or KP3, but we're sitting there as huge fans. And some of us, I, I wasn't wearing one, but I saw people in the audience wearing Jurassic Park shirts. And the fact that this character in the movie was doing the same thing and had these little plastic dinosaurs he was playing with, and then gets kind of talked crap on from you know Claire Bryce Dallas Howard. For, you know, wearing that, and they're like, well, wasn't that kind of, you know, disrespectful for what happened before? It's like, you built your park on the bones of the old one. It's, it's definitely the same island. There, there's tons of throwbacks to it. So that was, it was kind of a cheeky little nod, but yeah, his character was definitely a lot of fun. Provided that basic humor you kind of need, the comic relief that any kind of intense movie needs. Because what's really great about Chris Pratt with this is, yeah, he's got some fun little one-liners, but this isn't Star-Lord Chris Pratt. This is action hero Chris Pratt. So we got to see him you know, fight dinosaurs and you know camouflage himself and like we said you know control raptors which was one of the coolest parts of the movie when he reveals like he's the alpha raptor that's why they all follow him but uh, the, the one thing for me that I just I didn't like at all was uh, Vincent D'Onofrio his character is kind of the baddie there like he's such a great actor if you looked at what he did with Daredevil recently he's just utterly fantastic in that and with this he was given like three lines that no one cared about, and the moment he came on screen with his very first thing he said, you're like, oh, honey, I know how you're going to die. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> for, for, for your How you met, I Met Your Mother fans, you'll, you'll know where that comes from as well. Like you mentioned, the kids, they weren't annoying, but they were there as placeholders, at least in the original Jurassic Park. You know, the kids had something to do uh, with the you know, eunuchs and everything else. And they were a bit more likable, but like you said, in no way, shape, or form horrible. Like, I'm nitpicking a little bit just because... I, I like this movie a lot, but there's some things that kind of glared out. Uh, one thing that was really cool at first was they've got a couple scenes where they almost do shot-for-shot shot remakes uh, or reshoots of certain scenes from Jurassic Park, like when they fly over the mountains and the music swells and they land exactly like how they do in the first one. I got chills. I was excited. I was like, yes, this is what I've been waiting for. And they did something very similar the second time and then a third time and then a fourth time. And at that point... It was really glaring and took me out of the experience. 
it was still kind of fun. We, there was a really cool moment with a flare. That's all I'm going to say. That brought yeah. it to my face. But it was, like you said, a little, little bit of lazy script writing. Did it make me not like the movie? Oh, hell no. I love this movie. I can't wait to go see it again. Uh, we're hopefully going to go see an IMAX. We didn't have an IMAX screening. Like I was telling someone else, you know, you, you got to see dinosaurs fight dinosaurs and eat people. And no, that's what I wanted out of this movie. So it was a perfect, but in no means is a perfect no, but it's enjoyable, it's fun. And if you can't go and just put a smile on your face and be a little kid again, uh, maybe a little bit too cynical. Maybe. You mentioned how this was kind of aping the first movie, and I really felt that a lot too, especially when it came to the score. Uh, we had Michael uh, Giacchino, who basically has made a career out of doing scores that sound a lot like John Williams scores when John Williams isn't available. He's also done really, really excellent work for Pixar in movies like The Incredibles, putting some really great, very original music out there when he puts his own flavor on it. But what I got here was a lot of, I'm trying to write a John Williams-esque score. And what I got from how this was filmed was we are trying to make this like the Steven Spielberg first film. And and so I completely agree with you on that. But the movie that this most actually reminded me of uh, was last year's Godzilla. And for more reasons other than a very similar third act mm-hmm. and and big finale. And when you see it, if you've seen Godzilla, I think you'll you'll know what I mean about how it's uh, there's some fearful symmetry in that, uh, but not to give too much away there. But that being said, Godzilla was also not a perfect movie, and neither is this. But if you liked Godzilla, I think that's a fairly good barometer of whether you're going to be able to have a good time in the theater with this movie or not. Right. And it was really cool uh, to see the director, Colin Trevorrow, who was originally known just for doing Safety Not Guaranteed, a little indie sci-fi time travelish type movie that was a lot of fun uh, it was great to see his jump from that indie type film to hollywood blockbuster you know here's 200 million dollars go have fun uh josh trank who is doing fantastic four should probably take a note a note from his book because uh i'm not to go on too much of a tangent i'm, I'm excited for uh, fantastic four but obviously there were some problems there but the one thing i, I kind of laugh at because it's of no fault of his own but B.D. Wong reprises his role as Dr. Henry Wu, who you know, was one of the geneticists from the first film. And I couldn't help but every single time he was on screen, all I could do was see his character from SVU, Law & Order. And I was just half expecting him to pull out a, a little doll and say, show me where the bad dinosaur touched you. Um, <laughs> no fault of his own. It was just, it was, unfortunately, I have a twisted sense of humor, and that was the first thing that popped up. But And, and I have the same problem, except I keep thinking <laughs> of his character from Father of the Bride. Yeah. So there we go. <laughs> um, we we yeah. have the, we have the same problem. Yeah. So, but yeah, ton of fun. Go see this movie. Uh, bring your kids if they're 10, 11, older teens. It's, it's definitely one for little kids. Uh, like we were talking to you earlier, you know, Andy's got kids, and we were saying if he'd take them. And my coworker was asking the same question. Like I said, if, know your kids. If they've seen the first couple ones and they're they're fine with it, uh, there are some scary moments. There is some violence. Just you know, it's it's a fun summer movie. It's a popcorn flick. Y'all have a great time. Um, Easily give this a 7 out of 10. Yeah, my kids, uh, they would freak the hell out at dinosaurs eating people. So while we went and saw Guardians of the Galaxy three, four times in the theaters together, 
we are not taking them to go see Jurassic World, unfortunately. I'm in the I'm in the same area. I'm at seven and a half out of ten. That's the same score I gave Pitch Perfect two. So again, uh, I really like the movie. It's a good sequel for what it is, but it is in no means by no means like the perfect summer movie. But go have a good time. We already got that with Mad Max. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, we we kind of did. I think we're spoiled by Mad Max here. So, like, Ant Man is really going to have to hit it out of the park if it's going to like try and supplant Mad Max as like a the greatest summer movie. I don't. I frankly don't know if anything else is going to. I thought Jurassic World had the best shot at it, and they did okay, but it's not Mad Max. Yeah, and speaking of uh, Ant-Man, before we get to our recommendation, uh, today on Facebook, on pretty much everywhere on the internet, they did you see the new posters that came out? Oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> so, obviously, you can't see this because, you know, you're listening. Uh, the posters, if you go online, they're everywhere. It's a picture of Ant-Man as the tiny little Ant-Man running around on, like, Iron Man's shoulder or Captain America's shield. So it's putting him in the Avengers universe, but it's really funny. It's really clever. Uh, if Ant-Man is half as good as their marketing, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, they've they've consistently done this with the marketing. Like they released the 30-second teaser trailer first in ant size and it was like a, a third of an inch tall so you couldn't see what was going on at all, but uh, they just keep doing this and they're like, "Yes, he's small." And they keep <laughs> making that joke. So I really hope that this movie is as clever as all of that because Ant-Man standing on Thor's hammer, it just makes me want to see that. And again, I showed my seven-year-old, and I'm like, check this out. And he's like, all right. I'm like, so do you want to go see Ant-Man? Uh, yeah, I want to go see Ant-Man. Get the, get the kids involved, and the parents will come with them. But um, on a little bit more of a somber note, our, our recommendation this week is we did learn today that uh, the great Christopher Lee uh, did pass away. He was 93 years old. Uh, I'm sure many of you know of his work in The Lord of the Rings. Uh, well, I guess he was in five or six of them now. Uh, all his work there in Star Wars. But he I had a hugely phenomenal acting career, a very storied career, working with horror movies back in the 50s and 60s uh, to actually doing some heavy metal stuff. But Andy, you were going to tell us about some of your his favorite roles that you remember from back in the day. Some of you may remember that uh, right before Skyfall came out, uh, Swank Matron and I did a really fun project where we watched every single James Bond movie in the space of a month. And Christopher Lee uh, played Scaramanga, the eponymous man with the golden gun in that film. And while Man with the Golden Gun is a lesser James Bond movie, for some reason, Christopher Lee is Scaramanga always stands out as an iconic Bond villain. Maybe it's the the classiness of that golden gun or the fact that he was so skilled with it that he only needed one shot and so he could get away with using those uh, really expensive gold bullets. Or maybe it was his single-minded devotion to hunting down James Bond that we saw from the very, very first shots of the film. I thought he was great. It was unfortunate that he was in such an incredibly mediocre Bond film. Uh, but I will, I, I'll always remember him fondly for that. And of course, as Saruman, 
and as Count Dooku, uh, and for the tons of other amazing things he did with his life. I, the the guy during World War II was an actual Nazi hunter. Like he went out and hunted, actually hunted Nazis out in the field. Uh, there's a great story. Uh, you you may not know this, but uh, Christopher Lee was also a huge Tolkien expert himself, and so was brought in by uh, Peter Jackson to consult on a lot of what was done in in the films. And uh, there was a lot of collaboration there even before he was cast as Saruman and after. And being on set, he was available for tons of cool stuff like that. But there's a, there's a story where uh, they're talking and Peter Jackson is, is telling him uh, in terms of finding his motivation, he says, imagine the sound of sneaking up behind someone and stabbing them in the back. And he says to Peter Jackson, I don't have to imagine. I know what that sounds like. <laughs> Oh, like, what a badass. Holy, holy cow. <laughs> yeah, I know. What a badass, exactly. Yeah, he, uh, he'll he be missed. I mean, obviously, you know, he, he was definitely lived a long and full life. So he had, he had a lot of accomplishments. Uh, he's he's well-known in, in classic horror films. Uh, the, the Mummy from 1959. He had an iconic role in that. Uh, probably his most famous horror movie was The Horror of Dracula. Yep. Where he uh, co-starred with Peter Cushing, who also, of course, had some Star Wars fame. But uh, just a great, great actor, very talented. Uh, I mentioned before he loved heavy metal. Actually, he did at least three that I could quickly find uh, heavy metal albums. The first one was Charlemagne by the Sword and the Cross, where he partnered with a couple heavy metal bands. And he was the lead. He did all the singing and everything else. Uh, But for me, as someone who works in retail, who uh, absolutely hates Christmas music, uh, it comes on and if you're in the car with me and you turn it on, I will punch you. Uh, he managed to make two uh, Christmas albums that were absolutely amazing. Uh, heavy Metal Christmas and a Heavy Metal Christmas 2. Until you've heard him sing The Little Drummer Boy uh, to a Heavy Metal soundtrack, and he's just, you know, with this full-on, you know, <clears throat> uh, baritone voice going at it. It's it's fantastic. You can easily find it on Amazon. Uh, I'm sure. I know it's all over YouTube. So, uh, yeah, definitely check out Everything You Can by Christopher Lee. He's a lot more than Count Dooku and Saruman. Obviously, that's those were amazing roles, but uh, he was pretty much fantastic in everything he did. Pum 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 pum. Jeez. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, that takes care of this episode of the Board as Hell podcast. We will be back next week. Uh, but it's a little bit of a slow week. Uh, obviously, things are still going to be scared of Jurassic World, uh, but we will have Inside Out, the new Disney Pixar film that everyone's been clamoring for and we've been excited about since the last one, which was a couple years ago. And a small indie film called Dope that played at Sundance that I didn't get a chance to see, but I'm going to hopefully sneak out there and see it this week. All right. Thank you guys very much, and we will talk to you later. See you later, sinners. Hail Satan, and have a lovely afternoon.
toil to force others out of Frankish soil. And I return to learn that all is lost, yet my companions I trust the sword and the cross. Converting entire tribes by the sword. In the name of Jesus Christo, our Lord. On that day in Verdun, no mercy given. Victory for the chosen people. of this task which fell on the shoulders of a man. They would not renounce their heathen ways. Thirty years of campaigning consumed to subject those pagans to Christian rule. Key, he's gonna 